Thank you, worship team. Uh, If you have your Bibles tonight, uh, we're just going to be looking in a familiar passage of Scripture uh, in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. Just as you are turning there, just want to encourage you, remind you to just keep Pastor and Kathy in prayer um, as they are in Maine. Uh, they will be traveling back, so just keep their family in prayer, and then also just keep um, Pastor and Kathy in your prayers. They will be traveling back to Maine, uh, I believe, on Friday. So just pray for traveling mercies and safety as they make the journey back. Exodus chapter 4, and we're just going to look at verses 2 and 3 real quickly. It says, and this is the Lord speaking to Moses. Then the Lord said to him, him being Moses, what is that in your hand? And so Moses replies, it's it's a staff. And so the Lord said, throw it on the ground. And so Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. What is that in your hand? Moses replied, it's a staff. And so the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Tonight I just want to share just for a moment about going on in, going all in and throwing what you have to God. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for our time together. God, we ask that you would speak to us, uh, that you would speak to our hearts tonight. God, I ask that you use me, for without you I'm nothing, that you would be glorified in everything. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Um, have you ever, have you ever thought that you were so confident in your own ability or your own skill set or your own knowledge and wisdom that it ended up backfiring on you in a tremendous and serious way that you found yourself embarrassed or maybe humiliated or or found yourself in a really just an awkward or bad situation? Anyone anyone ever experienced that? Go through that? in their own life. I I know for me, uh, it was several years ago, and it was, uh, my friend had, uh, it was right around the the basketball tournament, the NCAA um, March Madness, and uh, my friend is a big South Carolina fan, and so several years ago, South Carolina, which is not known for their basketball team, had made it to the Sweet 16, and so uh, my friend being in Florida knew that I was in this area, and he said, hey, South Carolina, they're in the Sweet 16 in Madison Square Garden. If I come up, will you go with me to the game? And I said, I'm in. Let's go. So he's like, all right, great. And so we went through this whole process of um, determining when and where we were going to buy our tickets. And so if you've ever bought any sort of tickets, you whether it's plane tickets or concert tickets or anything like that, you know that there's a game that, that a lot of times you play this tension of where do I wait for the prices to go down, but if I wait, will the prices go up? And if I buy my tickets now, will the prices drop and will I regret it later? And so we played this game as we're kind of watching the prices of the basketball tickets kind of be at a place where we didn't really want to pay for it yet because we were thinking, oh, the prices are going to drop. They're going to drop. And so as the week went on, we kept watching and watching, and finally we said to ourselves, and, and and I, I've learned from this here, but we said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to buy them from some scalpers when we get to the, the, to the city, okay? And you, you, some of you are like, yo, you already know where the story went. You're like, I could have told you, okay? But, but let me get there, okay? Let me get there real quickly. And so my friend, he flies up to uh, Newark, and so I go and pick him up, and then we go to the city, 
and we're excited. And, and I had done some research because when you're not really sure what to do, what do you do? You Google it. And after you Google something, you're an expert, right? Isn't that how Google works? You, you all of a sudden have a, a PhD in whatever you are looking up in the, on, on Google because the Internet never leads you astray. So after doing about 10, 15 minutes worth of study on Google, I said, you know what? I know exactly what to look for when I'm buying tickets from a scalper. It's not illegal, actually, okay? Some of you are like, what? It's not actually legal. I made That was the first thing I Googled. Is it illegal? It's not. And so um, we, get, we get to the city, and my friend, for whatever reason, when he was on the plane, his, he uh, sat awkwardly or fell asleep, and so he had a knot in his back. So he says, hey, listen, uh, I, while I was in the, my layover, I scheduled an appointment with a chiropractor in New York City, in the city. So uh, I'm going to go to the chiropractor, and if you want, if you can go get the tickets for us. And I said, I'm just supposed to have a chiropractor in the city anyway. I said, yeah, yeah, sure, anyway, I'll go take care of that. So he's at the chiropractor. He's getting, like, you know, the knot in his back taken care of. So I go fully confident about to get these tickets. So I'm walking, and I see this guy, and, and so he's like, hey, you want tickets? I'm like, yeah, I need tickets, and, you know, kind of. So I buy these tickets. You know, they were, they were cheaper than what everyone, everyone else was selling, and that they, but they were far better, like better seats. And I'm like, yo, this is like the best thing ever. It's so smart. Why, you know, yes. So I go back. I felt like, like you know, Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory will probably get the golden ticket. And, like, I'm waving the tickets. Like, I got the golden ticket, right? So there were two of them. And so I go back to my friend. And I said, hey, man, I got tickets. They're even better than what we could have imagined. I paid less than what we wanted to. He's like, dude, this is great. This is awesome. We go. We get some food. We're sitting there just enjoying the moment that we're about to, like, you know, we got these amazing tickets. We're going to go in. We're going to see this game. We're going to be up close, ready to go. So we go to the stadium. We go to the Madison Square Garden. We go to the ticket scanner. And there's just, like, you know, there's a line. And all you hear is, ka-dook, ka-dook. As people are getting their tickets scanned to go in, and so we're standing there, and then they hear, and my heart sunk because that was on me, and I looked and I'm like, oh no, and then to my to my right I hear, and I look over to my friend and his ticket as well, and the guy looks at us, he's like, I can't let you in, guys, and I'm like, can you scan it one more time? He goes. It's going to make the same noise. I'm like, please. And sure enough, <coughs> and I'm like, oh, no. He goes, yeah. And so we look at the tickets, and, and we're just – and I realized in this moment I had bought fake tickets, and uh, I had paid a huge price. Um, this, the story, you know, it gets a little better in that we were able to go to another place and buy legitimate tickets. Uh, but I had trusted in my own knowledge. I, I, I was so prideful in thinking that I had the know-it-all, the, the, the knowledge, the street smarts to – uh, avoid buying fake tickets that uh, I ended up trusting in my own knowledge so much so that it cost me greatly because in order for us to get into the game, we had to go and buy legitimate tickets at the same price that we didn't want to pay for them earlier in the week. It only cost us extra money for fake tickets in order to get in the game. Um, but it leads for an incredible story, does it not? Yeah. Um, and South Carolina won, so we, we were able to leave with that. Uh, but but I believe that, that God is, is asking us, all of us, to go all in. In fact, that's the call that we all have as followers of Jesus. It's not to go partially in. It's not to go occasionally in. It's not to go in on, you know, Sunday and Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings or on the weekends or, or when we feel like it. 
but he's requiring us to go all in. And part of that going all in process is to let go of everything that we hold on to, including especially ourselves. And so I want to look at the life of Moses real quickly here and, and just kind of some things that we can glean from the passage in the life of Moses here that will help us when it comes to going all in. Uh, if we look at Moses' life up to this, this, before this moment in Exodus chapter 4, in Exodus chapter 2, we're given the, the, the background, the life of Moses. And many, if not all of us, know the story of Moses. We know that he was born in a season where the Israelite people were being persecuted. Uh, in fact, the Pharaoh of that time, Pharaoh, he, ha- he is feeling so threatened by the Israelites in his land. Again, these are descendants of Joseph, who, ha- who was brought to Egypt um, from slaves and gone through all that. And uh, so these are his descendants now. Um, and so Pharaoh is threatened by him. And so he decides through the state of law to kill all the newborn Israelite Hebrew baby boys. And so Moses' mother, um, not wanting to do that, uh, obviously decides to take things into her own hands, and she hides him for three months. But she knows that this is not something that she can sustain over the duration of his life. And so in, in a, a, an amazing moment of faith and trust, she puts her, her three-month-old baby in a basket and puts him in the Nile River and sends her daughter to go look after him. And then with God's, just his amazing plan and way, has it so that way Moses stumbles in his basket, floats along by none other than Pharaoh's daughter, who has compassion. She identifies and knows that this baby is a Hebrew baby. It's important to note that. This isn't just, oh, there's a random, she knew and identified, but she has compassion for the child. And so, she goes and she picks up the baby and the sister pops up and says, hey, listen, I, I, I know who can care for the baby. And so the sister, obviously knowing the background, grabs her mother, says, hey, you know, come, come. And so the mother comes and she presents herself to Pharaoh's daughter and Pharaoh's daughter says, hey, listen, here's the deal. Uh, I will hire you to move into my palace and uh, pay you to take care for this child. I mean, all of our mothers are thinking, how do I get that deal? How do I get paid to watch my own kids? How do I get to be able to move into a palace? And I don't know how to do that, but apparently it took place here. So it it is possible. Um, And so she's able to care for her own child. And so Moses is raised in the house, in the home of Pharaoh as a prince of Egypt. A Hebrew boy, a Hebrew man, grows up as a prince of Egypt. And so we fast forward now to 40 years later, and um, he's known as, a, as, as a one of the leaders in, in, in this kingdom. He is known as a prince of Egypt, and as he is uh, going about his day, he sees some Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And so Moses, recognizing that this is one of his people, decides to take matters into his own hands, and he decides to take care of it, and what does he do? He kills the Egyptian. Now, it's important to note this before we get further in the story that Moses understood who he was. Moses understood that he was uniquely positioned and that he believed himself to be the savior of the Israelite people in that time period, okay? We're not, he's not saying he's Jesus, but he knows that he can help deliver his people as he is uniquely positioned in Pharaoh's household as a Hebrew man. He is part of both sides of it, and he is uniquely positioned. 
In fact, Acts 7, um, 25, Stephen is sharing. This is what Stephen, as he is declaring the message to the Sanhedrin, says Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them. So Stephen acknowledges that here in Acts chapter 7. So Moses understood that he was there to rescue his people from captivity. And so he kills the Egyptian. And so what does the people do? Um, Well, they reject him. Because later on, next day, he finds two Hebrew men quarreling with one another. And so Moses tries to step in. God is fighting. God is fighting. And and their response was, um, no, dude, are you going to kill us too? And Moses realized that not only had he killed an Egyptian man, but now he was also being rejected by his own people. And so he knew that if he stayed, his life was in danger. And so what did he do? He ran away. He runs away. Moses thought he knew who he was. He was a prince of Egypt and a Hebrew, God's chosen instrument to deliver Israel. He trusted his position, his title, his words, his ability to do what God had called him to do. But he found himself running away. And he found himself in this moment of failure and desire. When you go all in, it's important to note that there will be setbacks. When we go all in, there's going to be setbacks. I was a senior in Bible college, and I had uh, just only, all I had left was my internship. Uh, In order to graduate, part of, to get our degree, we had to do an internship for an extended period of time in a church ministry. And so I had had set up an amazing internship opportunity at an amazing church in Georgia, and uh, I was excited. And and so my, the internship professor had kind of said like, hey, you can't get better than this church. They, they, you know, they have an amazing track record. You're going to be phenomenally blessed. It's going to be awesome. I said, I'm so excited. And so um, they had called me up and said, hey, we're excited for you to be here. Here's the deal. We just need some information. We need you to take care of a couple paperwork, you know, some background check stuff, just so that way we can finalize all the details for your internship. I said, great, not a problem, absolutely. So a couple weeks go by. And I get a call and says, hey, I hope how's it doing? Oh, you know what? I am so sorry. I'm so swamped. I know I got to get you that paperwork. Uh, I'll get it to you later. And I said, okay. And so a couple weeks go by later, and I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. Listen, you know, I got I to gotta, you know, do this, and uh, I know, and, and I'm going to get it to you tomorrow, tonight, next, you know, by next week. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. And so, you know, another week goes by, and they call, and they go, uh, hey, here's the deal. You know, um, we don't want you to intern with us anymore. And my heart sank. I was like, well, what, what, what do you mean? Like, I'm supposed to be, like, I, I got to graduate. Like, this, th- I got to get this done. Like, you know, like, this is, there's, there's no other alternative. I said, yeah, no, we, we just don't want you to come intern with us. And I was devastated. I was like, and I could only blame myself for it. It wasn't like I could look over and say, it was this person's fault or that person's fault. But, but I was devastated. You know, sometimes we have setbacks. See, Moses at 40 had all the potential in the world. And yet at 80 years old, he felt like a lost cause. At some point or another, many of us, if not all of us, will feel like life has passed us by. Maybe our dream seems lost or reality of our current situation doesn't measure up to what we thought was going to happen. And a lot of times too many of us give up on our dreams because we feel like God has given up on us. And I'm sure that at 40 plus years old, as Moses runs away and finds himself on the run and 
far away from what he thought God was going to do that he felt unqualified. But can I tell you this, that even in the midst of setbacks, God was leveraging everything in Moses' past experience to prepare him for what God was going to do in the world. And can you think of a better way to prepare Moses? Because you and I, we have, we know what happens, right? There, you know, for most of us, not all of us, we know how the story ends. But so if you can just stay with me, though, but just, you know, knowing what happens in the end, can you think of a better way to prepare Moses to lead the people of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years than by tending sheep for his father-in-law on the backside of the same desert for 40 years. See, going all in for God isn't something you do once. And in fact, you'll, you'll probably have a few failures, a few setbacks, a few disappointments along the way. But can I tell you that those setbacks, those failures, are opportunities for you and I to have our character developed, to have our character pruned, to have it molded and shaped so that way we can be sustained when we step into what God has for us. But when we avoid that, when we don't go through that process, we are not going to have everything we need to have that will sustain us through what God has for us, God's calling and God's dreams that he has for your life. Can I tell you this? That character will sustain you, right? Charisma might get you there, but character will sustain you. You might have all the external gifts and talents that will get you to a position or get you to a place. But what will sustain you in those trying seasons is not your gifts, it's not your talents, it's not your abilities. But it's the character that God has so carefully and meticulously molded, shaped, and prepared you in those trying and difficult seasons. Setbacks are fertilizer that grows character. Success without any failure is like a plant without any roots or a building without a foundation. See, thankfully for me, my past failures didn't, uh, didn't cause me to never make it because obviously I'm here today sharing the word of the Lord. See, God orchestrated moments in my life after that moment of humiliation, embarrassment that, that that put me in where he had me. And if I hadn't gone through those experiences, I wouldn't have learned for today. Failure laid a foundation of humble dependence upon God. So we, we, uh, many times we want to avoid these, these setbacks. We want to avoid these difficult seasons. We, we, we don't like them. They're never fun. And who, let's admit, they're not fun, especially when you're in it. But in those moments, just take heart and know that God is at work in your life, that God is cultivating something within your life that you may not even recognize until 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. I'm sure that Moses had no idea what was going on in that moment, but God was most shortly at work in his life. I don't know if shortly was a word, but he was most definitely at work in his life. Megan just, yep. Anyway. God is preparing you for what he's already prepared for you. So we continue on Exodus chapter 3. Moses is tending his father-in-law's sheep. Start out just like any ordinary day. Just like the same day before. Those normal, regular, same old, back to the grind type of day. 
so he woke up thinking, well, it's another day that I get to watch the sheep on the same mountainside, in the same wilderness, just like every day. But can I tell you something, that when you go all in, there will be setbacks, and when you go all in, you never know how God will show up. See, God shows up unexpectedly, not in our time, but always in his perfect time. And I'm sure that Moses would have loved God to have shown up in a week after he found himself in the wilderness, a year after he found himself in the wilderness, but it wasn't. God loves the element of surprise. God loves to take the mundane and the ordinary and make it extraordinary. And so in that moment, God appears in a burning bush and calls Moses to lead and deliver God's people out of Egypt. And, and I, I asked the question, why, why a thorn bush? God, why a thorn bush? Why did you decide to show up in a thorn bush? And, and I, 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 I read the passage, the scriptures, and I studied, and, and I haven't gotten a good definitive answer as far as what it could possibly be. But one thing I do know for sure is that when God shows up in a thorn bush, it tells me, this is what I get from it, so this is not something like, don't write this, but this is what I get from it, that there is no place on earth, not even a thorn bush in the wilderness, in the desert, in a place forgotten by everybody else, that the presence of God is not present. There is no place on earth that God is not present. I love what David says in Psalm 139. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Can I tell you something today? It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter what season you're in. It doesn't matter how deep of a hole you're in. It doesn't matter if you put yourself in that hole or not. God is present. It doesn't matter how dirty, how messed up, how defiled you are. God is near, and God can and will show up. And many times, it's in a way that you never expect it and when you least expect it. Don't lose sight that God can show up. God will show up. And most, most of the times, it's when we least expect it. Moses was just an ordinary day. He had been there for 40 years tending his father-in-law's sheep when God showed up in his life in an extraordinary way. So when we go all in with setbacks, God will show up when we least expect it. And when you go all in, you're not alone. So God reveals his plan to Moses, something that Moses had already known. Um, because again, as we saw earlier, Moses thought he was there to rescue the people of Israel. So God presents Moses with the very plan that Moses had already known in his heart 40 years ago. And so what does Moses do when God affirms and confirms this calling? Well, he says, all right, it's about time. No, he, he's like, whoa, I'm not doing that. I can't do that. See, in his years in the wilderness, I'm sure that Moses must have often remembered his failure. I'm sure in those 40 years, he played back those 24, 48, 72 hours of his life where everything kind of unraveled and fell apart. And how proud he thought he was to think he could deliver Israel. But after 40, after waiting and 40 years of setbacks, he responded in a completely different way than he might have 40 years ago. And so he says, no, I can't do that, God. God, I can't. That's another Moses. That's Moses of 40 years ago. I'm Moses of 40 years later, and I know I can't do that. And so what is God's response to his objection to his plan? He says, I am who I am. See, God responds by giving his name. 
God responds with the assurance that I will be with you. And can I tell you that this is the same promise that you and I have today. It is the same hope that we can hold on to in every moment, in every situation, every season, and every moment that life has for us. That God is with you. That he is with you today. Can I tell you something, though? It's not because of who you are, but it's about who he is. And it's not about what you can do and what you can do for him, but it's all about what he has already done on the cross. God doesn't use you because of who you are and who I am. He uses us in spite of who we are because God loves to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And that can only happen when we take hold of the hope and the promise that God is with us. God is with us. So I love this. As we continue in Exodus 4, 2, and 3, the Lord said to Moses, he says, what, what is that in your hand? And I mean, I think we can all agree that this is not God having an intense curiosity and unfamiliarity with what was in Moses' hand. But I think it was more, for Moses' sake, a self-evaluation. Um, because God, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And so Moses replies, a staff, right? And so the Lord said, throw it on the ground. And so Moses threw it on the ground and became, became a snake and he ran from it. See, to go all in, we have to throw what's in our hand down. We have to throw down our staff. We have to take what's ever in our hand and we have to throw it down. It's about, and, and I'm going to quote one of our students, Erin Banker. I don't think she's here tonight, but she did a short sermon, did phenomenally. And, you know, she just had this closing statement. So let go and let God. And so you know what we need to do? We need to let go of what we have and let God. It's about letting go and letting God. Now, now, what is a staff, right? It's, it's just a staff, right? So like we said, I don't think it's God asking Moses, what is that in your hand? Because God was intensely curious and was not familiar with what was in Moses' hand. But what does this staff represent? I think for Moses, it represents his identity. It represented his security as a shepherd. It was Moses' way of living. See, the staff, I'm sure that Moses used that staff for the past 40 years as his identity as a shepherd, his security as safety, and his way of living to provide for him and his family. So when God says, Moses, what is that in your hand? He's not saying, what is that object there? But he's asking Moses to take a deep look at to what is he holding on to. He's holding on to his identity as a person, a shepherd. He's holding on to his security, his way of protection, what he clings to. And then also his way of living, how he provides his provision. It's his identity, his security, and his provision. So God wasn't asking Moses to throw down a simple stick on the ground. God was asking Moses to throw on the ground his identity and who he thought he was, his security and what he clung to, and what he, would, what he trusted as his provision. I believe that's what God is asking you and I to give up as well. When we talk about going all in, we're not saying just give up a, you know, go out into the woods, grab a piece of, you know, grab a wood and make it into a staff and throw it on the ground. But he's saying, what are you holding on to? Is it your identity? Is it who you think you are? Is it your security? Is it, is it what you're trusting? Is it 
your provision, what, what your, your finances, or is it your way of living? And that's what God is asking Moses to throw down. See, as long as Moses held on to his own established purpose, his own dreams, his own plans, his own hope, he could never take hold of God's dreams and God's purpose and God's plan and God's hope. See, if we follow Jesus throughout the scripture, we find that his teachings reflect this paradoxical thought that to live, I have to die. To gain, I have to let go. To be the greatest, I have to be the least. To lead, I have to serve. And not only did Jesus teach this, but this is what he himself modeled. That Jesus saw us in our need. He saw us in our sin without any hope. And he said, what I have, I'm going to lay down. And so he came down to earth and he laid down his life. Jesus wasn't murdered. Jesus gave up his life. And so for you and I as Christ followers, when we go all in, should we not follow the example of Jesus himself, which is to give up what we have? Jesus gave up his life. The very least we can do is give up ours. See, you can have faith or you can have control, but you can't have both. I can try to hold on to all these things and have control over my finances and my identity and my job and my nest egg and my 401k or my job security or what's familiar, what's comfortable or, you know, just those that are closest to me or my house and my home and my vehicles or my gifts and my talents and my knowledge. But as long as you have control over these, you can't have faith in what God has for you because you're unwilling to let go of these things. So what are you holding on to? It could be not a staff, but today I'm sure many of us are holding on to things like our finances, our jobs, the people in our life, talents, gifts, our intellect, our position, our influence. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, you this that god created the entire universe the heavens the earth the stars the planets all the animals the creatures of the sea and the birds in the sky with nothing but his voice imagine what he can do with your little something can i say that again god created the heavens and the earth out of nothing imagine what he can do with your little something and so the same question that God asked Moses years and years and years ago and it said, what is in your hand, Moses? He's asking you and I tonight, tomorrow, and every day, what is in your hand? What is it that you're holding on to? What is it that you're not letting go? You may be tempted to say, it's just a staff or it's something insignificant. You might be tempted to say, it's the only thing stable in my life. It's the only stability I have. You might be tempted to say, it's my security blanket. It's what I put my trust in if everything else goes down the hole. You might be tempted to say, it's all I've ever known. I've never known anything different. It's the only thing I'm familiar with. You may be tempted to say, it's my fallback. It's my support. It's my safety line. God is asking you, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? What is it? 
because here's what here's the reality of it. You can hang on to it, whatever it is in your hand, and see what you can do. You can hand it over and see what God can do. You can do two things. You can hang on to it and see what you can do. Or you can hand it over and see what God can do. And so I love how this passage ends here in Exodus. It says, Moses threw it on the ground and it became a symbol. You know, in that moment, Moses lets go of what's in his hand. He throws it down. And what does God do? God shows who he is. God shows up. He shows the miraculous, the extraordinary. I think a lot of times, we, you and I, we're, we're looking for God to show up in our life. We're looking for God to demonstrate his power. We're in need of a miracle. And and a lot of times, the reason why we're not experiencing that, the reason why we're not seeing is because we're not allowing God to move in our life because we're not letting go. And it's not that God can't move in our life. It's that we're not letting him because we're holding on to whatever it is we're holding on to. It's that we're unwilling to let go of whatever it is we're holding on to. You know, I was, um, when I was younger, I had a dream be a basketball player and i've shared this before i think but you were like we've heard this story before and that's okay it's just i'm living in my my old you know in the in the in the glory days of my past and i had i I used to be the best and then i wasn't and maybe that was because of my dream but um needless to say i I wanted to be an nba player and i wish i could tell you the reason why i'm not an nba player is because of some terrible accident that left me unable to play but really had everything to do with I can't shoot the basketball and I'm not tall and I can't dribble that well and all the other nuances of the game of basketball that I can't grasp um, at any decent level. Um, but one thing that I did know was that I, I, I needed to grow and, and I needed to be tall um, and, and I needed to not be the little kid that I was. And, and I would I would pray that 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 God would grow me overnight. You know, anyone have those type of prayers when you were a kid or was that, that God, you know, you would, you know, what, what it could be anything. But my prayer was that God, you would help me to grow overnight. And I remember as a kid, there would be, there'd be nights, though, where I wouldn't be able to fall asleep because my knees and my elbows would be in excruciating pain. They would be excruciating. And, and I would be in tears and I'd go to my dad and say, Dad, I, why my knees and my elbow? I need to go to the doctor. I need to go to the hospital. And my dad's like, oh, no, there goes that growing pain. And I'm like, that growing pain? I'm not growing. I don't see it. And he's like, you might not see it, but just know that in the pain, there's growth. And I think for you and I, in these moments of life when we go all in and we say, hey, I'm, I'm all in. And, and the moment we, we experience any sort of opposition or any sort of difficulty or any sort of challenge, we immediately go back because there's nothing stopping us from going back. We can throw it down, but there's nothing stopping us from going back. And so the moment we even feel a bit of pain or difficulty, what do we do? We, we go back. And, and church, I just, I just really have this on my heart that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go through difficulties. We're going to go through challenges. As a follower of Jesus, you and I, we are not... Uh, removed 
from the difficulties of life. We are not given a, uh, a shortcut that deviates all the different challenges that we, most humans, all humanity will face. It, it's just not fair. You know, if, if you're here today and saying, well, that's what, they, you know, that's what other people from churches say, that's not what we believe, and that's not in anywhere in the gospel, because what did Jesus say himself? He said, the world hated me first, so guess what? The world's going to hate you too. You're going to go through challenges. There's no gospel message that says that we're absolved from challenges and difficulties. I'm just going to tell you straight as it is. You're going to go through challenges and seasons. You're going to go through difficult times. You're going to go through trials and tribulations. And being a follower of Jesus, we, fought, we find this in the life of Jesus, will lead us, many times will lead us into those seasons. But when we forsake those moments, when we try to avoid them, we remove ourselves from God's growing I believe that God is calling each and every one of us to follow him. And I know that for a fact. He's calling each and every one of us to a life that will follow Jesus, a life that will go and make him known. He has a unique calling, a unique purpose on all of our lives, each and every one of us. And it requires you and I to not go half-heartedly in, not to go all in when it's convenient, but to go all in with everything we've got each and every day, and that requires us to throw it all down. But just as we said, there will be sacrifices. But rest assured that even in those sacrifices, God is at work. And you might feel that pain in your knees and in your elbows or wherever else you, in your body or your life, in your family, know that God is at work because he's producing something that will allow you to be sustained in those more trying seasons. And that's not even a comforting thought either, that it will only get more trying. But can I assure you that in those moments, God is with you. But if we forsake the pain, if we avoid it, we will not be able to go to where God is calling us in our lives. So embrace the challenge, embrace the seasons, because God is preparing you. And so just as God has showed up in Moses' life, he wants to show up in our lives. So when you go all in, and I'm closing, and, and we're going to be just ending in just a moment, um, but I want to lead us in, in something here tonight as well. Um, but when you go all in, you can know that there will be sacrifices. When you go all in, you never know how God will show up. When you go all in, you are not alone. And then to go all in, we have to throw down what's in our hand. We have to throw down our stuff. We have to lay it down to God. And that we can hang on to what we are holding on to, see what we can do, or we can let it go, hand it to God, and see what he does. Jesus, in a moment with his disciples, he gives this message, this word. It says, Matthew chapter 15, verse 25 through 26, he says this, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What gain is it for you and I to hold on to what we have? We can gain the world. We can gain finances. We can gain position and influence and titles. We can gain all that, but ultimately by gaining those things, we will lose our soul. But when we let go of those things, when we let go of our life, Jesus finds 
So tonight I just want to close with this thought. That you and I, are, our, our lives will suffer as followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, it will require us to give up. Jesus tells his followers earlier, just before this passage, he just says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must count the cost, take up their cross and follow me. And I believe that's what we're talking about tonight when it comes to going all in and laying it down, which is to count the cost and take up our cross and follow him. And it is going to cost you something. If you've ever bought in an object from the dollar store, if, you, if I were to go to the dollar store today and get a pair of sunglasses, and I were to, I probably would wear it, and who knows what I'd do with it. I might lose them, I might get them somewhere, they might break, and if I lost them, or if they were broken, or if they were stolen, or if I misplaced them, how much do you think I'm going to care? Probably not a whole lot. How much would you care if you bought a pair of sunglasses from the dollar store? How much would you care? You probably would give it a thought, man, I really like those sunglasses, but you would survive. You would probably get over it within a week or two, unless they were really near and dear. But you, you would, I would, I would assume you would survive. But if I were to go to the store and spend $100 on sunglasses, then I would, I would probably make sure they had their own protective case. And I would probably make sure that nobody looked at them funny. Or I'd make sure they were always in, in my, my arm's reach. And they would always be somewhere that only I knew. And that no one else could touch them. And if someone was throwing objects around me, I'd make sure to cover because I don't want them to get scratched. And why is that the case? Well, because for the $1 sunglasses, it didn't cost me anything. But for the $100 sunglasses, it cost me something. The $1 sunglasses had little value to me because they didn't cost anything. But the $100 sunglasses had great value to me because it cost me something. If your faith and your life as a follower of Jesus doesn't cost you and I something, what is its value? What is its value? It requires us to go all in. It requires us to give it up. It requires us to give up a cost. Listen, giving your life is a cost, but the reward and the value is far greater. But we have to go all in. We have to go all in, and we have to lay it all down and give it to God. Just like every head bowed, eye closed. Some of you are like, we're getting done already? We are. But I want to pray with you tonight, and I pray, and I, I believe That God is calling each and every one of us and he's asking us this question, what is it you have in your heart? And for just a moment here, may we reflect on that. What is it that you and I are holding on to? Is it the stuff? Is it this? Is it that? Is it the job? It's all I've ever known. establish and identify what it is you're holding on to. Let us remember that Jesus is calling each and every one of us to give up our lives, to follow him, that we may go and be known as followers and disciples of Jesus.
give of the best. But to do so requires us to let go and go all in. And so tonight, whatever it is that we're holding on to, and I believe that whether you've been following Jesus for, for a week, a year, 10 years, 50 years, 75 years, that we all have things that we have to let go of. That none of us in this room have grown and graduated past giving up ourselves because tonight as we close and just as we reflect and consider these things, the process of going all in, giving and throwing down what's in our hands, considering the cost of picking up our cross is very let us never forget that. Let us never look beyond the fact that each day we have to go. And so tonight, as we do, let us also challenge ourselves to each day, each morning, each night, every moment in between, be mindful of the things that we have to let go of. So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time together and just the few moments that we've shared your word tonight. And God, let that speak to our hearts, that God, you would help us to identify, establish the things that we are holding on to, whatever it is, and God, let us trust it with you, and God, when we give it to you, you show up, you do the extraordinary, you do the miraculous, but God, it requires an act of faith and an act of trust that we would let go of what we are holding on to and give it to you that we would go all in. And even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of setbacks, may we take hold of the promise that you are always with us. And even when we least expect it, that you will show up. And that God, we would count the cost. We would pick up our cross, follow you, and make you our Lord. So have your way in our lives. Watch over us this week as we go, that we would live to glorify you and make you known. And bring us back here safely. And that, God, this place would just be an altar of things that have been let go at your feet. And that we will let you be established. So thank you so much, Lord. Be with us. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Amen. So I'm letting you out early. Don't tell pastor, okay? Our secret, we went till 8.15.